we all have veto on whether or not we think this episode should go up by the end of it, just so you know. <laughs> Were you recording when you said that? Yes, it's on there. I'm pretty sure that's going to be our opening. Um, I'm pretty sure that's just how we're going to start, Derek. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity. My name is Matthew Lee Anderson. I am your host for today's show. It's great to have you back with us. I'm joined by Derek and Alistair. Guys, it's good to see you. Uh, how's life in the world these days? Awesome. I live in California now, not Chicago. Not Chicago. Um, how's life in the world these days? That's basically what we're going to talk about today. And you guys didn't really take that and run with it. No. Um, we thought that we would, there, there's, there have been events in the world. We thought that we would just take a show to talk some about what we've been reading, what we've been thinking about, uh, just general gossip about the internet. We really wanted to start with Derek's Twitter feed. Oh, uh, gosh, we hear, no. been, <laughs> we, we hear he's, he's been making friends uh, on the Twitters lately, which I have recently departed for a season, so I haven't seen any of the fun. Um, but uh, we thought that we would start with the mischief that Derek has been making. Derek, why I, are you terrible on Twitter? I, I am not terrible. I I am informative and playful, uh, I think. Um, I think Matt's referring to a tweet where I gently suggested that gently suggested that, that uh, absenting your child from Sunday worship for you know, if you regularly skip Sunday worship to attend sports events, and by regularly, I don't mean once in a blue moon. I mean regularly, the, the increasing trend that we're seeing of folks missing, you know, two to three months at a time or once a month for, for four months because the club team is going, that, that is its own form of religious instruction, right? It, it, is, it, is, it is instructing your, your child uh, about the importance and relative value of of uh, the faith and the worship of the Lord on the Lord's day, uh, and and uh, and and its priorities, I, I gently suggested that, and people took offense. To you know, a lot of people chimed in, a lot of people supported, a lot of people got it. Basically, everybody who's ever been a youth minister ever supported that. But uh, but yes, some folks some folks didn't take too kindly. Uh, to, to, to that. And so, um, that's all, that's all no mischief. Just, just making a, making a point. Derek, um, why do you hate families with children? Oh my gosh. I love, <laughs> I love families with children. That's my point. I love families with children and I want them to raise their children in the nurture and the instruction and admonition of the Lord. And and uh, and I've worked with families with children, with their high schoolers, with some of their junior hires, and now they're college students. And I just see where some of this goes. And so uh, that's that's what I love them. I think it's an example of one I of love them. the sorts of choices that we'll face a lot more in the future, where depending upon the communities that you want to connect with, you're going to have to make some difficult choices between whether you're going to attend church, whether you're going to um, have 
a particular set of friends that are more widely um, dispersed throughout different cultural belief systems, whatever it is. If you're going to be a faithful church attender, there are going to be a lot more sacrifices that you have to make nowadays than you would have had to make 20 years ago. And I think particularly when we see the growing status of sports on Sundays, that is one of those issues. It's also, I think, a reflection upon our society that we just do not have enough time to relax together, um, to coordinate times. And so it's crushed into a limited scope of time where everyone could make a Sunday morning, whereas that time would already be set apart for worship traditionally. But now it's hard to find times that work for everyone else in the rest of the week. I mean, honestly, when I was a kid, I, I did. I played team sports when I was a kid, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And did you? Sorry, which sports? I don't think we've ever heard about this. Played basketball. Not sure I believe you. Soccer, uh, and uh, and uh, um, a little bit of baseball. But um, but my point is, the, the 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 games weren't even scheduled at that time. It wasn't even never had a conflict that, and and the fact that that it has continued to creep and encroach year by year. And when you when you're doing youth ministry, if you've been in the last fifteen years, you've seen the growth. It is it has crept in in new ways, and not just club teams, right, which were always a little bit more intense, but but also just the recreational. Uh, teams and the fact that every kid has to be on some sort of team at some point, some sort of extracurricular. Uh, I mean that 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 speaks to like the 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 hyper programming of childhood that we're seeing right now. So that's its own that's its own subject. But when it comes to Sunday worship and and kind of the way I don't know the motivation structure of getting your kid to church or getting your kid why he, they have to they absolutely couldn't ever possibly miss a game uh or or be delayed for one at least to you know let alone let alone make the uh make the chariots of fire decision to not play i i, I don't know maybe maybe it's just because i watched that movie a ton when i was a kid it's kind of set some some convictions there but uh but there's like there's no liddell's coming out of the the, the current formation and Part of it, you can push back. Uh, you get a lot of pushback. Some folks saying this is actually the fault of the of the church failing to form families, failing to to um, to uh, cultivate the value uh, on worship, uh, basically making worship in entertainment. And th- and that's and that's maybe maybe partially true. Uh, I, I do I do wonder what a worship, uh, not experience a, a corporate worship gathering uh, centered on word and sacrament uh, also impacts. The reality is you, you can't podcast the sacrament on the way to the game. You have to be there to receive the Lord's Supper. Uh, that's that's one thing. That's not like some kind of silver bullet to, to, um, to refocus people's values on this. But I think a lot of people just don't get the way that it is a formative experience. You, you, you know, and this is this is something that a lot of folks will not hear, and it's I'm not trying to shame people, not trying to trying to beat down on people who's making tough decisions or whatever. But the reality is, when parents come to you uh, in in college, their college ministers or their youth pastors are like, I don't know, you know, senior year, I don't know why little Johnny uh, is just so disconnected or doesn't seem to take the faith seriously or whatever it is the decision to allow them. Because oftentimes the students want to go to these things themselves, or to to prioritize for them, to to tacitly teach them 
that these things are actually more important, that you can uh, skip the corporate gathering, uh, that, 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 that that's, that's, that's an extraneous um, additional element uh, that's not actually central. You know, you've got your faith with Jesus, you and yourself, and you can do that. And that that the corporate body, the gathering of believers, isn't isn't important. Um, you'll start. It's it's not surprising. Right? It's not a one to one relation. There's kids I know who who are hyper involved in sports, and now older they, they are involved in their churches, and the Lord has strengthened them, and that's that's fine. There's plenty of plenty of well, my son turned out okay. Stories out there. Um, but it's of a piece. It's of a piece with general trends, and it's and and, it, and and we have to take seriously the formative power of of these these rhythms that we can just we think we can just take exception to. And it's not just the activities themselves; it's also to which community do you primarily belong? Yeah, um, that's the key question. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a dimension here too of the professionalization of youth sports, particularly. Mm-hmm. Right? ESPN mm-hmm. had a long article earlier this year on actually the the rise of injuries in um, college athletes because college athletes increasingly have only ever played one sport, and it turns out if you only play one sport, your muscles, uh, you only work the muscles that are appropriate for that sport. And you become more susceptible to injuries uh, as a result. Whereas in previous generations, you would play two, three different sports and you wouldn't start to really specialize until much later in life. Whereas that's just not the case anymore. Uh, And so there is this um, growing professionalization of youth sports culture that I think a lot of families just get naturally drawn into, um, it seems to me. And it's part of the it's part of the it's part of the uh, resume padding, the CV padding. Well, I got to get my kid in all these extracurriculars. Kid, we got to make sure that they get into the college. And that you know, if if we don't have enough, if we don't have enough line items on the list, and we want the we want our students to be full orbed, uh, to to be well rounded, and so they have to have all. And so so that also plays into the pressure to parent the same way everybody else on the block does. Uh, is have your kid in all the same things. Yeah. So, and there's, it's important, I think, to think about this puzzle from a variety of standpoints, because you might also think about the single mother who has a service job, who maybe, you know, like, or has two service jobs and is trying to balance them and to, to pay bills. And so who may end up, um, having to work on Sundays because mm-hmm. that's when her service job schedule. Yeah. And so there are ways in which like, I think churches do need to be attentive to family dynamics, but it's a lot. Yeah. Those are very different important. cases. Yeah. And, um, the messaging effects of each decision are on, on the home and, and family life are very different in those cases. But I do think like there, we, we do need to be alive to those sorts of dynamics as well. Yeah. And I, I think even that, so you raise that particular uh, issue, which um, I think is going to be more and more a, a problem where, you know, employers and the necessities of, of providing for a family will often push a family out of the, or, or at least a father or a mother out of the regular rhythms of worship and and yeah, churches need to be attentive to that and focusing on how can we still reach these folks and include them and all that kind of thing. At the same time, um, that 
oftentimes these these things get brought up as as kind of slight red herrings to distract from the fact that okay, but the vast bulk of choices to like take little Johnny to soccer uh, for three months instead of church, or and then the next sport for the next three months for off season, uh, whatever that that's that's still a decision that folks are going to have to uh, make. And I think what what pastors and uh, the churches are going to have to start helping people do is uh, recognize that holiness, recognize that the concrete life of the body uh, means they're going to they're going to actually have to start living weird in relation to the rest of of their neighbors. They they they're 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 their middle class life or their upper middle class life or whatever it is, it won't look exactly the same. It can't look exactly the same. Obedience will require that. You know who has gotten that message, Derek? You know who has gotten that message? Kanye West. (laughs) Closed closed on Sunday, (laughs) indeed. this This is a new argument, right? Look, if Kanye thinks you should be closed on Sunday with Chick-fil-A, I'm sorry, game over. Game over. You know, you're oh, you're man. 13 year old who's playing club basketball. It's gonna follow Kanye. So, you know, you might as well. There was a very good go piece actually recently on the Atlantic is titled Why You Never See Your Friends Anymore by Judith Shulovich. And she talks about just our unpredictable and um disjointed schedules that we have. <laughs> and that to be clear, Alistair. There are lots of reasons why Derek never sees his <laughs> friends anymore. <laughs> Guys, Most of which have to do with Derek. I, I, because I associate with 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 you folks. But I, there, I'm there are ways that we cast out, like organize our time, and everything has to be so hyper scheduled now. And to find those brief windows of time where we can actually have communal relaxation, recreation, and repose together, she points out that that's very difficult to achieve. Because it's a context now where the demands of work and a hyper-scheduled lifestyle just do not leave us the windows of opportunity. And in part because the different parts of our life have become increasingly detached from each other. So whereas previously you would have your community and your work would be far more closely related together, now you have to find community and family outside of work time, outside of worship time. And the more that those things, elements become disconnected, the more that things that you used to be able to do in a multitasking way, as they're integrated in a more organic form Mm -hmm. of life, now you have to schedule them all into an overburdened calendar. And that's one of the problems, I think, with the sort of sports commitments that we're talking about. People have such commitments on other fronts that if they're going to maintain all these necessary supplementary ingredients for a healthy human existence, they're going to have to double book themselves and privilege certain activities over others. And that will involve people who go to church having to drop out of sports and they're genuinely losing things that are important there. And so I think we need to think more fundamentally about how we structure our lives and how we've ended up detaching these different threads of life from each other. This sounds like a big argument on behalf of churches hosting Super Bowl parties. I don't know about you guys, but I kind of think that that's an answer here. Oh my gosh. Oh, I am not going to weigh in on I don't know. You, you're already so popular today. for everything else. No, I mean, I think what Alistair says is right. Like the, it, this is a, it's a problem 
I mean, one one dimension of the problem is even in a town like Waco, um, the number of churches mean that like my friend group ends up being non-overlapping with religious communities. And so I've got friends sprinkled across five different churches in town and that that imposes a serious burden on managing friendships because there aren't overlapping opportunities for small talk and the like. Um, and, you know, and I've actually, you know, I've got a good situation where I have lots of friends and I, and I see lots of people, but um, I can imagine, like, it's very easy to see how the kinds of fragmentations that you're talking about uh, are going to restructure the church experience for a lot of people. But you guys didn't take up my yeah. Kanye reference. I'm a little disappointed. I just, I just want. I you really, admitted you haven't listened I, to the album yet. I was just about to say that. I think I'm probably the only white uh, evangelical Christian guy who has not listened to the album and does not have opinions on the Kanye West conversion. So I would like to pat myself on the back. I alone am left. Uh, oh Lord, in. Oh not having opinions about Kanye. So for listeners at home, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm I'm not going to subject you. You are. You are you're, and really, yeah, I was going to say, that is a real blessing, not having Matt's <laughs> thoughts on this one. Uh, thank, Matt, just doing a service to us all today. That's awesome. It is interesting um, seeing the response yeah. to it on different <laughs> you sides. You know who though. has thoughts? Alistair has thoughts. <laughs> Alan Noble has thoughts. I've listened to the he album. Does, yeah. I don't have that oh, many man. thoughts. Every, everybody does. At this point, I mean, I, I don't have I don't have thoughts on the album as as a I'm not a hip hop connoisseur or whatever. I, I do I just have a very basic I don't know my, my my basic evangelical reaction is like wow the dude got saved that's awesome uh, let's pray for him and um, turning him into a public theologian uh, political theologian uh, within the first I don't know however months of or first year of his of his conversion like that maybe we should slow down on that just just uh, just a tad um and and not make him the figurehead for a whole bunch of things i mean i really think it's true for for celebrities in general is when folks come to faith give them space to just like actually be a new believer grow get discipled read their bibles um get prayer because you know satan's gonna attack them uh, like he attacks everybody but especially if you're in the spotlight and like you know the, the the joy and the fun and the irony of it is 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 something, um, but uh, yeah, just putting putting the weight of being some figurehead for like I don't know Christendom reemerging or uh, the 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 a proxy battle between uh, white evangelicals and everybody else and and the and the cipher for what's coming in the twenty twenty election. It's like okay, just I don't know, maybe just, not. Just pray. Pray, yeah, maybe just, don't pray for the dude, and maybe don't just you know pray pray for him and, and let him be your brother in Christ, and 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 uh, and that I don't know. That's I don't know. I kind of have, have hopes, me. Derek. So where Justin Bieber was photographed uh, carrying Tim Keller's meaning of marriage, and everyone yeah. read that. You know, I kind of hope have hopes that Kanye will be photographed carrying Re Oliver O'Donovan's Resurrection Moral Order, <laughs> and everyone. We're gonna. I wanted. Well, he mentioned expository preaching <laughs> in an interview. Did, wait, who did really? What well, he mentioned? Yeah. Yes, he talked about expository preaching, and like As a I would say this, it was, is cool. Like, yes, he 
yeah, he was like, it's as a good thing. Like that, that was, that was part of what was helpful. Uh, I do think a lot of people are paying attention and we can pray for opportunities that conversations get brought up. I was listening, I was at UCI, uh, driving in the parking lot and, and I was parking and I just hear somebody driving by and I'll, I hear this hallelujah, hallelujah. And it was off the, it was off one of the songs. I'm like, okay, it's, it's, it's at least as a conversation piece with, with students, it's, it's been, uh. It's been interesting in that regard. I will say, again. I did watch. So this is now my confession. I did watch. You have you have paid attention. You have. I did watch the. You're not above plain it. Plain James Corden interview <laughs> thing with James Corden, and that was pure. Like that was so delightful, and um, the things that I loved about it were first that choir. Oh man, that choir is just off the charts good. Like they are phenomenal. Like I will go pay money to hear that choir anytime. Thank you very much. Um, but I loved, I loved like the sh- like Corden. I really like James Corden. He like he's just has this sheer sense of joy that doesn't seem manufactured. Like he's just a sort of in- reflexively happy person. It seems like, um, and. Uh, being told by Kanye that he should have more kids <laughs> was just like, yeah, man, preach the word, Kanye. More babies. Babies are great. And James Gordon should, of course, have another. So so we will, we will establish one very important thing here is that Matt is not as above popular culture as he likes to say he is. Present himself. Matt watched a YouTube video, we know, about of a, a recent public celebrity. To be clear, event. I have never presented myself as above popular culture. <laughs> yes, you have. In word, deed, tweet, all of it. Everyone quit Netflix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's let's transition. Sorry, I distracted us with the Kanye. We were actually having a real conversation, but I kind of killed that. Um, so I'm curious to know things that you're reading on the internet uh, that have been worthwhile of late. There was, I, I think we should talk about it. There was an article by Slate Star Codex that was really, really fascinating on the uh, shifts, basically the death of the new atheists, right? Where the new atheists uh, had been this massive social phenomenon. They were writing bestsellers. Everyone was talking about them. And, Significantly, there was a massive online uh, set of fora, 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 forums, fora, set of fora. That's my Latin. I'm I'm working Latin through my head, right? Uh, Plural of forums is fora. Uh, There were a set of online fora where lots of people came together and talked about the wrongness of Christianity and other religions and the awesomeness of uh, atheism, the flying spaghetti monster was a phenomenon. And all of that has basically disappeared. Um, it's basically been replaced. Uh, he points out by wokeness to be clear, right? Like by, yes. by social justice, blogs, social justice thought. blogs, by concerns for racial justice and the like, and all the, all the kinds of things that have seized our attention over the last four or five years. Um, there's, there's almost a kind of one-to-one correlation or the, like the, not one-to-one correlation. There's, there's a, the, 
the charts of interest line up perfectly such that as interest in atheism declines, interest in wokeness goes up. Um, I think there's a lot there that's really interesting. I mean, it struck me personally because the new atheist uh, community shaped so much of my early years of writing on the internet. Uh, my brother uh, was very, not very, he was on the edges of the sort of new atheist world. He was cited many times by uh, PZ Myers at Ferengula, or one of the top sort of atheist websites. And, you know, I started writing, arguing with my brother about some of these things and, and trying to think through, like, what are the, the sort of grounds for Christian belief and how can we articulate those in public in reasonable and sympathetic ways? Because uh, it seemed clear to me that there was a sort of growing interest in, in opposing Christianity and the like. And so that really structured a lot of my early writing. And it's interesting, it was interesting reading for me to think about the ways in which um, politics has become apologetics uh, if you will, the ways mm -hmm. in which the uh, there's a sense of wokeness that is just like at its core fundamentally hostile to the truths of the Christian faith. And it's a much more challenging problem because there's more overlap in terms of some of the, the content of the concerns, right? There are like Christian ways of being concerned about racial justice and uh, white supremacy and, and the like. But there are also ways in which those categories are can and have been and are being used to marginalize or oppose um, Christian convictions. And I think we saw some of that in the um, response to the Dallas uh uh, shooting and the decision by the brother to extend forgiveness to the police and the response to that bordered on, bordered on, bordered on, not in every case, but bordered on just calling into question the possibility of forgiveness, right, as a, as a real category. And so I think like there are ways in which the, the, the trajectory has uh, caused a lot of problems for Christians writing and thinking about these uh, about sort of the the persuasiveness of Christian belief in public that didn't exist. The before. interesting thing in Slate Star Codex in that piece was the way that he talked about it as a choice between two doctrines of sin. That new atheism presented religion as the root of all evil, um, ignorance and the blindness of superstition and religion. That was the problem. And it wasn't just uh, something that the, a particular problem that they were tackling. It was the grand theory of all things that were wrong with the world, and that's how it's presented by. I mean, if you're following someone like um, Richard Dawkins, that was the way that it was put forward. Whereas he argues social justice positions presented an alternative theory that the root of all evil was hatred, bigotry, um, and religion was a mask for that. But the real root of evil was something different. And so he argues that what happened was that this new theory of sin and every 
position has to present some sort of theory of sin, some sort of account of the future, um, some sort of account of where we... It, any of our theories has to answer some of these basic existential questions that orient us within the world. And wokeness and social justice really answered that sin question in a way that satisfied people at the time. The way he tackled um, atheism as a sort of theological system in that sense, I thought was quite a stimulating thing to reflect upon. Yeah. Yeah, I, the, the, the transition there, um, really what he's talking about is that, that transformation of folks, not just, oh, well, they didn't stop becoming atheists. They, a lot of those atheists, they just stopped caring about those arguments and they moved on to the new set. What's interesting is, like Matt, like Matt was saying, th this does present a new apologetic uh, scene, a, a new um, apologetic culture where the defense of the Christian faith has to do. It, it, we're not dealing with dealing with so-called rational arguments for the non-existence of God, or, or as much um, historical criticism about well, whether or not Jesus actually existed. A lot of folks recognize those arguments; they kind of laugh at them, even if they're atheists. They're like, ah, okay, that, that's kind of juvenile. It's really the moral arguments. It's the fact that it's contributed to uh, slavery, oppression, patriarchy, yada, yada, and so on and so forth. And this is where it's interesting because it bleeds into, um, like you said, there are properly Christian concerns. So when it came to uh, even even the Dallas shooting and the forgiveness, that some of the concerns were, okay, forgiveness as a virtue, whatever. But there were there were what you could you, you could posit Christian concerns about, like, are we papering over the cries for justice with like cheap grace? cheap forgiveness. Uh, okay. As, as soon as we get a kid f offering forgiveness, we don't have to, we don't have to think about, uh, whether or not there are structural, structural issues or whatever. And so you have that blend of those two kinds of concerns. So you have, uh, interesting cross sections of, of, of concern and, and sympathy, but it's interesting though, is because it presents both new, um, New challenges, like I, I, so for instance, some of my own work is kind of focused on uh, moral objections to the Bible when it comes to like Old Testament violence or something, or or, or whether or not the cross as 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 a as a penal substitution is uh, contributes to the furthering of violent ideologies, yada yada. The other thing, though, is it, it presents a new op apologetic. Um, opportunity in a lot of ways because the concern to social justice just makes the moral argument for God's existence and the necessity of God, the necessity of, of, a, of a grounded world, a world grounded in the, in the creative uh, moral creative word of a moral God who, who, you know, you're really angry about a lot of unjust things. You, you want justice. Okay. But where's that even coming from? Like, is there a transcendent standard is, you know, you say you don't like this, the, the idea of, of an angry God who judges, but you, you actually seem to need one. You need, you seem to need uh, someone who's going to put an end to, to injustice, uh, put an end to oppression. You actually, there need, and, 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 and the, uh, the issue of atonement and forgiveness within the public square, that is something that um, in the old, the old, uh, the older configuration, that question wasn't as relevant. I mean, it was there because uh, you were dealing with a religious violence issue, but, uh, but now even more when you've got um, questions of whether or not uh, folks can ever come back uh, from, 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 from their, from their very public exposure of sin, um, whether or not 
like how do we how do we wrestle with public justice? How do we wrestle with forgiveness yeah. in a way that isn't cheap and just kind of lets people off and lets oppressors back come back into uh, positions of power, but at the same time um, doesn't keep people locked in to their anger and locked into uh, like almost a, a Yaver trying to think of Les Mis, you know, the the the, the prosecutor, prosecutorial mindset that just doesn't allow for grace yeah. and rehabilitation. So so all that is 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 caught up with that that article, the possibilities yeah. for thinking about ministry. Uh, in that, what's the what's the cultural? Yeah. I think that's right, Derek. And I, I mean, I, 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 you're absolutely right about the problems of cheap grace, and especially in response to the Dallas shooting. I thought the 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 best thing that I wrote, read about that whole thing was at Christianity Today, Tarina Williamson's um, exhortation that uh, to, to Christians to make the uh, video of the mom pleading for justice go viral in addition to the uh, viral video of forgiveness, and I like I just thought that was it was such a wise and um, true thing to say about that whole set of events, and I think that the you know the challenge that we have is. You have, and this I, this I think is, I don't, I don't know what the answer is here, but it's a challenge that I think crosses a lot of different areas. The gospel holds out justice and mercy. It brings them together in extraordinarily complex uh, ways, uh, ways in which both justice and mercy have to be present together for the gospel to be good news. Um and the question is, if you have, how do you, how do you sort of proclaim that appropriately in a context where you have, say, uh, buildup of years of injustices occurring with no remedy being sort of given? Uh, and in that kind of context, it's entirely reasonable that you know, calls for mercy, calls for forgiveness would like fall on deaf ears, but it also like means that we're susceptible to forgetting the Christian responsibilities to announce that there can be mercy for sinners and that even within even within the affirmation of justice, there is a temperance that's required about punishing the, the, those who are wrong. I mean, I think Aquinas is very, very helpful on these issues, right? Clemency is the virtue of restraint in punishing. It's the, the virtue of restraint in enacting justice on people. And I think that, that the, 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 the difficulty that we have these days is how do we bring about justice while still having this sense of restraint that I think is fundamentally founded on the witness of the gospel and the restraint that God shows humanity in judging our wrongs. Perhaps one of the most arresting things within the Slate Star Codex piece was just the observation of how much things have completely changed within 15 years. And there, I think, there's a degree of hope to be drawn from just the potentials of cultures to shift in a radical, fundamental way, and almost unnoticed by us, but 
things are completely changed. And looking back, it looks like a foreign world, but it was only 15 years ago. And there are things that understanding the process by which that shift occurred is important. I think there are I think he gets that theory wrong and I've got a piece hopefully coming out and Miro by the time that this is published that puts a different theory forward. But I think when he thinks about the way that the shift has occurred, you can think back to, for instance, the pet doctrine of um, the new atheist was evolution. What do people associate evolution now with? They associate it with sort of anti-feminist, evo-psych. They associate it with the racial race realists. It has a really ugly reputation. That's what people think of it as. But yet, and many of the people who were the big figures striding across the landscape, who, who knew Ken, who knew Ken Ham, <laughs> who knew Ken Ham was going to be the was going to be the SJW I mean, hero. Think about the way that the reputation of someone like Richard Dawkins has changed. Um, what he's associated with. He was a big cultural figure. Yeah. And then part of the complication is just seeing how a move, key figures within New Atheists suddenly were marginalized and something else um, became prominent in their place. And as we've been talking about earlier, I think we're dealing with cultural shifts, whether that's talking about the way that um, worship is handled and the way that people view sports relative to worship and their other commitments and the way that family plays into that and the relationship between parents and their children and how scheduled the lives of children are. These are changes that have happened very quickly but almost unnoticeably because they've happened steadily but in a very short span of time. Likewise with um, someone like Kanye West. A year ago, who could have predicted? And it's having conversations about Kim Kardashian wanting to cover up more. I mean, these are changes that we could never have predicted. So maybe as Christians, we should indulge in a bit more hope because there are ways in which some of these problems in our society, seemingly intractable, can have surprising um, sort of you catastrophic solutions. Yeah, so I, I think that's right. I think there's also a dimension there, Alistair. It, I think it should cause us to reflect on what the phenomenon actually was and how brittle the New Atheist movement was and how maybe it was a marketing phenomenon more than a kind of intellectual movement. Right. So I've, I have one friend who has done a fair amount of work on the phenomenon of the new atheists who points out that it was commercialized very quickly. And the nature of the commercialization meant that like the it became more of a sort of public posturing type of movement, more of a way of selling books and doing all the sorts of things that. Uh, they did, then a hotbed of new ideas, if you will, like, right, like it wasn't a sort of, uh, they weren't advancing new claims about the world per se. Uh, they were marketing sort of a, a view that they'd had. And I think that, that thinking about them that way uh, should cause us to reflect on our own commitments and how those commitments came about and whether they have come about through similar types of means uh, or whether we are uh, 
or whether they've come about through similar types of memes, uh, right? Whether we're more affected by the kind of marketing uh, environments than we are the actual sort of arguments that we think that we hold to. What the market gives, the market can take. Um, in that in that sense, and I, I think there's, I think there's there's two there's two things that I think of in response to that. One is even within the church, uh, things like. Things like the turn to liturgy, the turn to tradition, the turn to habits and practices, uh, the way a lot of that discourse happened in the last few years, everybody's, everybody was into it. Everybody was really excited about it. Uh, liturgy is going to save the church. It's going to save our families. It's going to save all these things. Um, and habits will do that or whatever it was. And and um, I believe that liturgical some 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 liturgical elements and worship it's healthy return to confessions return to strong doctrine all that kind of thing but if it's only ever as deep as like a meme as a trend it's just another attempt at uh at uh, kind of like you know commercialized authenticity uh that 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 really will only stick around until the next meme the next theological or church meme comes along. Uh, and so if, it, if it's not actually rounded, okay, I think this is true. Uh, even in the next five to 10 years, when it, when people are, people have gotten tired of the meme and they're starting to make jokes about it. Um, so, so that, that is, that is, uh, that's just something people, people jump in on it and think this is going to be some silver bullet and they're going to, we're going to lead the whole church. And you're either in on it because you're committed at a, at a deeper intellectual biblical level, uh, or, or you need to reevaluate whether or not this is just your own uh, attempt at at a sort of public posture that is about as as deep as as you know your your acid wash jeans uh, that, that that have been manufactured to to promote that sort of sense. Which brings us full circle, Derek. Uh, it sounds like you now want people to have something more than just being in church on Sunday morning. Whereas you started with, you gotta be in church on Sunday morning. Now you're like, eh, that's not going to be sufficient. Those practices and the like, you're going to need something more here. That it, no, because we, you're in church, you're in church every Sunday morning because the Lord tells us in scripture to not give up, uh, give up uh, meeting together with the saints. So there's, there's a deep theological reason structured in creation and yes i'm going i'm going sabbatarian here uh go westminster go look at um, folks this is this is what that was do. that was somewhat snarky go by me derek up. i was really just uh pointing out that it does bring us full circle to the issues where we began this conversation uh, and i think that's a great place to end it we hope that we've said something useful it's been a fun show for us for sure and we hope that you've enjoyed listening in to us discuss a number of these issues uh, if you are interested in supporting the show our band of patreon subscribers grows all the time uh, we are doing videos uh, short videos uh, on various questions through the month uh, for those of you who are contributing financially and we're very grateful for your support so do join us uh, the means of doing so are linked in the show notes at Muir orthodoxy and we'll be back next week. I don't know what we're talking. Jeremy Treat, is that right? I think we're talking to Jeremy Treat. So uh, that should be a super good conversation that we're excited to have. So join us next time for that. And until then, this has been Mere Fidelity. <laughs>